Uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you guys have come to be with us here in this room. And also those of you who are joining us on our live stream, thank you for, for being present with us. It's just a reminder for us of just how big the church is. Um, you know, like we, we gather in here and we're like we're looking around saying, oh, it's summer. Um, at the same time, there are hundreds uh, of people who are worshiping with us online as well. And so the church is way bigger than what we could contain in a building, right? So God is, God is moving and up to, up to something great. Um, I, I'm glad to be able to jump into this, this series, the summer series that we're doing on the Apostles' Creed. We've been talking about this, this core belief of who we are as followers of, of Jesus. And we have these historic words that have been handed down over the centuries to the church. And so they've been a part of the story of, of Jesus' people for, for many, many years. Um, when I was in uh, second grade... I got a bookmark uh, similar to this one. We have these available for you out there in the lobby. If you haven't grabbed one yet, it's got the series image on one side and it has the Apostles' Creed uh, listed here and you can kind of carry, carry that with you. But when I was in second grade, somebody gave me, in my, in my church I grew up and they gave me uh, one of these bookmarks and, um, and I just remember looking at it and, and the words were kind of big. They were words I didn't use in my normal everyday conversation, but they were really familiar to me. And the reason they were familiar to me is because in the church I grew up in, every single Sunday, I would hear these words out of the mouths of people who had known me since I was born, like people who had loved me my, my entire life and people who I've seen their faithfulness through, through good times and, and bad times. I heard these words out of their, their mouths every single week. And even though the words seemed kind of dated, there was something important about all this because I also knew the people in the church, they had beliefs about some other things that they disagreed on. If you can imagine, <laughs> like they, there were some, some things that they were still were like important beliefs to them, but they had different views on it and, and, and things that they could actually kind of have conversation and sometimes even disagree about and argue about. But they had this, this moment, like every single week was a moment where there was complete unity of the spirit because, because they were gathered around these words, which were at the core of their identity, the core of, of who they are. So I, I saw all that and I put this bookmark in my Bible and next Sunday, I went back to church and I pulled it out and I recited the Apostles' Creed with my people, with, with the, the, the people I had, had grown up with. You know, um, 40 years later, as Pastor Jacob would say, 40 years is a long time. Um, 40 years later, I'm still saying those words. Like these words are actually still a, a part of me. They, here's how it went. They went from this bookmark that I was given to me to my, my brain, which memorized it, and then to my heart. That's, that was kind of the path of these words. The church gave me words that became belief. Like they were just words on a paper, but they became my, my belief. And I'm praying that someone this summer will hear these words, and even as, as kind of foreign as they, they might sound, uh, these words of the creed, and they might come to believe because we've, we've spent this, this time in, in, these, in these, uh, this statement. The Apostles' Creed actually originally was started off as like a series of questions. Like when somebody was in the early church coming to be baptized, they would ask these questions. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in resurrection? And when, so there, you can picture it like a person standing there getting ready for baptism, ready to go into the waters of baptism and follow Jesus with their life. And those questions are asked of them. They don't just kind of mumble their answer. They would say, I believe. Like with an exclamation point, I believe. In fact, the word for creed, it goes back to this Latin word credo, which, which means I believe. So they would say it, I believe, I believe to each one of these, these questions. So they're important, important words. I actually believe them myself. 
and I believe that they matter, and not like as a magical formula, like we can just like recite this and then great things will happen, but in these words is the possibility and promise of redemption and eternal life. So last week, uh, Pastor Jacob shared the these uh, words we as we first started looking, kind of focusing in on, on who Jesus was and who Jesus is. So these were the words that you heard last week if you were with us. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. The Jesus that's being described here in these words that we talked about last week is, is a Jesus that, you know, we can relate to. Right? Like he, he's a guy, you know? Like you and I weren't conceived by the, by the Holy Spirit, but we were brought into the world in the same, through, through the womb of a mother, the same way that Jesus was. And we, we know a little bit about suffering. Some of us know more, more than others. And we will die one day. And in one way or another, our bodies will be laid back into the earth. In this way, we can see ourselves in Jesus. He's one of us. Recently, my 16-year-old my son, uh, Miles, was, he was in a, a crowd of people, and he saw two strangers walk up to each other. One guy walked up to another guy, and he, the, the first guy like, looked at the other guy, didn't even say any words. He just kind of pointed at his hat, pointed at his beard, pointed at his shirt, his pants, and his shoes. And the second person thought, well, what are you, what, you know, this is strange, why are you pointing at me? And it turned out that, the, and so the guy was like, they looked identical, like they looked like twins. <laughs> Had the same beard, the same hat, the same shirt, the same pants. They didn't know each other, but they looked exactly alike. And, and I don't know the whole conversation, but I think like the gist of it was something like, you're just like me. We're the same. Look, you and I, we are the same. Now you heard this word last week, a big church word, incarnation, which means that Jesus was a human like us. Like God stooped down to our level and experienced what we experience on a regular basis. He had flesh on like our flesh. It's one of the things that Jesus' original disciples saw and connected with, I think. Like he was like them. They could relate to him. Now, of course, he was also a lot of other things. He was an incredibly provocative teacher, got a lot of attention. But this is something that people almost universally accept. Jesus was human. Like that's a starting place. It's okay to start there. Jesus was human. Now it's not like exceptionally groundbreaking if you think about walking up to somebody on the street and just saying, I believe you're human. <laughs> you're like me. It would be strange. You could do it, but I think, it's, I think it would be a, a strange thing. But have you ever wondered why it was so difficult for the disciples to understand Jesus's teachings about his death and resurrection? They could understand a lot of what Jesus was teaching about and he would explain things to them. But when it came to the death and resurrection, when he was telling them that this was, was coming, they had a, a hard time because they saw Jesus like themselves. They saw Jesus as a human. They saw him do all these normal things. And yeah, he did go around talking about how he was sent from God, the son of God, but they knew his mom, you know, they knew his family. They, they sat down at a table with him. They watched him chew his food. They saw him get tired and sometimes even frustrated. And they knew that occasionally he needed to get away on, on his own. He was human. And so they knew him in all of his humanity. But the next part of the creed um, would be, have been really difficult for them because they had to believe that Jesus could be two things at once. Jesus is both fully human and fully God. And they didn't have a category for that. Like, we don't have a category that fits that. 
This, this summer, Jenny and I are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. Pretty big deal. <laughs> um, also, also a long time. Probably feels longer to her than, than for me. <laughs> but I've been doing some reflecting this summer, and I remember the premarital counseling that we, we went through uh, before we got married. With, we sat down with the pastor, and I remember her talking to us. She, she helped us to see how we could be two things at once. She said, you're still the individual that God made with all kinds of gifts and graces, and you're unique and you're beautiful. But in your marriage, you're also going to become something completely new, like a new creation, a new thing that God is doing in the world. She told us, you will be two things at the same time. I, I love Jenny, period, could walk away. But I, I, I love Jenny for all of the, the amazing individual that she is. And I also love who we are together in our marriage. God made us both as individuals and God made our marriage this new thing. And we are in covenant with Jesus together. So maybe you can be two things at, at once. Jesus was fully human and fully God at the same time. So the creed, when it talks about Jesus, it starts off with his humanity. He was one of us, yes, but he was also completely divine. And I, and I know that doesn't work with our math, like he's one thing and another thing, one plus one uh, equals one. <laughs> That's what we're trying to get to. But what we've come to know is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And to say that Jesus is the Son of God means that he can do things that we cannot do, right? <laughs> Uh, there's, there's things that he can do that we can't do, at least not on our own. So let's look at the Apostles' Creed. We're going to pick back up. Um, still talking about Jesus who was crucified, dead, and buried like a human. And then it says, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Which of those things um, can you do if you're looking at like rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven. <laughs> These are not things on the list of things that you can do, but you actually can do those two things. You just can't do them on your own. You need Jesus to, be, to raise from the dead. It requires Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul recorded a, a church song about this pattern of God coming down to earth and then ascending back up with a promise to return again to us. So last week you heard uh, part of this part of this uh, passage in Philippians chapter 2, we read, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So let's pick it back up. Uh, Therefore, it says, or because of that obedience that we just talked about, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus was human, yes. But he had this radical obedience to the will of God. We see it in his story. That humility and that obedience put him in a position where God the Father could then raise him up. His humility put him in a place where God could do that. So a quick aside on this, because I, I think this is really important. Um, let me just ask this, this question. What's the big deal with humility? Like we're talking about Jesus and these characteristics of Jesus, which are in turn characteristics of God. And we can accept a lot of these things. We, we can accept that God is all-powerful and all-knowing and, and all-present. 
But to say that God is humble, that doesn't feel quite right, right? I mean, like it's, it's kind of difficult to our ears because we have a poor understanding of humility. We don't value it. <laughs> Do you think I'm wrong? Um, go book a flight on Southwest Airlines and uh, go to the gate. <laughs> and then, you know, you're, you're given a, a number. And then before the flight uh, boards, everybody gets in like a corral and starts to like position. And, and I think it's getting better, but like it, it used to be just a really like it caused me stress, you know. And I remember one time I was number 37, I think, and um, I was standing in, in line kind of in the space where 37 should be. And somebody came up behind me and looked over my shoulder at my boarding pass. And they're like, uh-huh, I'm 36 and you're 37. So, you know, like, so we had to do a little dance and, and it probably didn't make a huge difference as to what seat <laughs> we got. But we have this kind of thing built into us where we got to like, we're looking out for, for ourselves. <laughs> a humble God doesn't compute to us. That sounds like, like weakness to us. Like, why would God be humble? We can accept his power, but not his humility. And the thing that we often miss here is that power and humility are not mutually exclusive. When Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, in him was the power of God. So the the power of God coming down to earth is what Jesus embodies. In him was the power of God demonstrated in humility. And because his humility made a way for us to have life, and in turn to reveal his power in the world. Did you know that when God called Moses, one of the characteristics that God was looking for, it says this in Numbers, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now Moses is said to have written these words, but you know, so like there's a little bit of a disconnect in how humble, how humble is this guy. Um, <laughs> but that was something that God was looking for. He, he was looking for the guy who was going to take his people out of slavery and, and across the Red Sea into the wilderness and towards the promised land. And he didn't just choose like the superhero guy. He chose the most humble person on the planet. It seems like it matters to God. It seems like this kind of humility is something that God works, works for, it, even though it seems completely at odds with how the world works. You can only be lifted up to eternal life because of the humility of Jesus. The only way that any of us have a a chance at at eternal life and living with God is because of Jesus' humility. In James chapter 4, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So see, it's not just about Jesus' humility anymore. It's you follow that path. Follow that pattern that Jesus demonstrated for us. In humility, you will be lifted up. So just pay attention to that like down-up pattern of God. It happens over and over again throughout the Bible. If humility and obedience lead you to a lower place than, than you expected, that doesn't mean that God has left you alone. Like even Jesus in all of his humanity wondered, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he was on the cross? Humility and obedience are in short supply, but it's the position that God seems to do his best work from. Because on, and this is the next part of the creed, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. Jesus has overcome death. Jesus didn't just come to earth, die, and rise from the dead, go to heaven, just as some kind of like an exercise of God's power. It was so we could do it too. Something we could never do on our own is now possible because Jesus Christ is God and yet became one of us and put on flesh and showed us a way to rise to new life. 
In Jesus, the lowly become lifted up. That's a pattern I remember hearing about as a kid in, in Sunday school. Just all the stories had to do with like low people being lifted up. And I remember at some points just kind of having a little bit of like disconnect because I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm a privileged American, right? And all except for the very poorest among us would be considered rich in most parts of the world. So how can I see myself as lowly when I'm in, in the position that, that, that I am in? Many, many people have wondered that. Well, let me just say this to you. Don't worry. We are the lowly. We are the lowly. I read a quote recently from Anne Lamott, an author. She said, sometimes the poor are in pearls. Now, I don't have any pearls. That's just like a fashion choice of mine to not wear pearls. But um, you know, I think the truth actually holds. I'm one of the people for whom the lowliness taken on by Christ is offensive. Everything in you may push against that, and, and, I, and I get it. But here's what I mean. Jesus died and conquered death for you something you could not have done on your own in your humanity. And if you think that you could, we're like, you're, you're kidding yourself. Because we only have half the equation. We are human like Jesus, yes, but we are not God. So I'll say it again. Jesus died and conquered death for you. Something you could not do on your own. And if you don't humbly allow for that truth, then God putting it on flesh and coming to earth could seem like a sideshow. Instead, it is the central point of human history. It's the central point of our faith. It's actually in the center of, of the creed. Jesus is right in the middle of it. And, and him coming to earth happened on a very specific day in a specific town, lowly Bethlehem, but it changed every day and every town ever since then. So even the praise given to Jesus is given as glory to God of whom he is a part the fullness of God is in Jesus. The fullness of God is available to you. The creed goes on, and he is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And in that culture, the right hand, sitting at the right hand of the master, the leader, um, was a seat of honor, a place of privilege. It's actually what the disciples were often fighting over when they wanted to sit next to, to Jesus, you know. They said, let me sit at your right hand in glory. But what they didn't know is that that seat is reserved for the humble and the obedient one. Like you've got to be lowly in order to be lifted up. And then it says, from there he'll come to judge the living and the dead. It says quick in, in most, most versions as well. It means living. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. So here's this promise. Jesus will return. The idea is not just in the Apostles' Creed. We actually have it in Jesus' own words. He was sitting down with, with his disciples um, in John chapter, chapter 14, near the end of his life. He gives them, gives, gives them these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And then he said, when everything is ready... I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I have to say this over and over again. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> it doesn't actually feel like it's something that we, we talk about all the time, but that's the promise. Jesus said, I will come back for you and I'll take you to be with me where I am. It's the promise and the obedient and the humble will see him when he returns. In another letter, Paul wrote this about the divinity of Jesus. This is from uh, Colossians. He wrote, For God in all his fullness 
was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And if you want to live in that peace that's described there, you have to kind of put yourself in it. Okay, well, I'm a part of everything in heaven and on earth. And he's offering me peace. He's offering me reconciliation through, through Jesus Christ. The only way you can be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it for you. Your family member can't, can't do it for you. It's only through Jesus Christ. You need the Son of God because through him, God has reconciled you to himself. God has made a way for you to experience the peace that your heart is so longing for. Church, I want to invite you uh, to stand up for a moment and, and to recite these words from the Apostles' Creed. Those words will be on the screen. And so I'm just going to ask you, church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 